Uh, so Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 32 through to 45. Uh, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them uh, what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us a favour, whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, uh, What do you want me to do uh, for you? And they said to him, Grant to us to sit, one at your right and one at your left, in glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them, but it, not sh but it shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Morning, everyone. My name's Jared. I'm the pastor here at HWC. Great to have you with us. Uh, please join me as we pray. Father in heaven, you are great and glorious. Uh, you rule this world that you've made. And we thank you that you sent your son, your only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come and save us. And we thank you that you've sent your Holy Spirit to, to work in us. And thank you that you've given us your word. Help us to understand it now by the work of your spirit and build us up in our faith in Jesus as we think about what it looks like to be truly great. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So um, glad that you're here this morning. A warm welcome to you. Uh, please keep your Bibles open to Mark 10 if, um, if you have a Bible or feel free to use your phone or whatever you use to read the Bible. Um, and uh, yeah, keep it open so you can follow along with me. Uh, today's passage follows uh, Jesus showing us what true greatness is. Uh, before we look at that, I want us to think about what are some of the ways that we can typically think of greatness. What does glory look like? What does it look like to be great? Um, ideas might be popping into your mind as you think about that question. Maybe it's winning. Uh, maybe uh, being successful, whether that's financial, relational, or in some other way. Being powerful with lots of people under your authority. Being exalted, having people acclaim you. Um, or being the kind of person other people want to be friends with. I think that's something we can think of as, as what true greatness looks like. Receiving honor from, from others. Um, or maybe you think of it uh, more like wanting to be the center of attention, everyone looking at you, uh, or to have others wait on you hand and foot. Uh, maybe we think of the rich and famous, heroic sports stars, our favorite musicians. Maybe we think it's all about our achievements, what we can do. Maybe we think that it's winning back the Palmer Cup <laughs> at the uh, High Wycombe Church, Maidenvale Church, uh, 
inaugural golf day, <laughs> winning the cup back where it belongs. Uh, <laughs> but today, <laughs> as we see Jesus teach about his death and his resurrection, we come to terms with what true glory looks like. And it doesn't look like this. True glory isn't, isn't a kind of like vain puffing ourselves up, um, but rather taking on the role of service, serving others. And maybe that resonates with you. Maybe you think, yeah, you know what? Yeah, that, that sounds right. Uh, taking control of others and lording one's authority over them, that doesn't sound great at all. But humble service, yeah, that, that is truly great. None of the fanfare, but there's substance to it. Well, let's have a look together at how Jesus brings this to light in Mark chapter 10. Today, we're going to see how true greatness is found in service and how the ultimate service is a ransom paid by Jesus Christ. So let's look in Mark 10. It begins with this prophecy that Jesus makes of his death and resurrection once again. And after Jesus prophesies these truths, he tells the disciples uh, that they're on their way to Jerusalem. Uh, And two of, of Jesus' disciples come to him with a request. What would be an appropriate response to Jesus telling you that he's going to be handed over, he's going to suffer, he's going to be killed, um, and then he's going to rise again. Maybe some encouragement, you know, giving him a hug, faith, hope, love, prayer. So how do James and John respond in this situation? Well, it's nothing like that. They, they take this as, as an opportunity to get their requests in for a promotion particularly related to their proximity to Jesus as he enters into his kingdom in glory. Whoops. So the request for glory. Uh, This account sounds something like them asking Jesus for a promotion. It starts with, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Whatever we ask of you. They ask Jesus for a blank check uh, for him to do whatever. It's a big request. Uh, If they ask him for this, and he says yes, then bingo, they can get whatever they want. At least that's their line of thinking. Um, But Jesus perceptively asks the question, what do you want me to do for you? He's not just going to say yes to that. He he asks them to to tell tell him what they want. They say to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. James and John are asking for the honor of being at Jesus' right and left in his glory. Uh, Just one chapter earlier, if you've been following along with Mark, on the way to Capernaum, the disciples were arguing about who is the greatest. Here, they're still thinking with that same mindset. It's like they haven't been able to break that. And these brothers, James and John, uh, were both sons of Zebedee, and and they were given the nickname Sons of Thunder by Jesus way back in Mark 3. Maybe Zebedee himself had a thunderous personality, And if so, it appears that the apples didn't fall far from the tree. They made big requests, and they didn't exude humility. Uh, They, along with Peter, were the three disciples that Jesus took with him to very private things like the Transfiguration. So they were already extraordinarily privileged uh, with such amazing proximity to Jesus. They got to be in his inner circle, but they wanted more. They wanted glory. Uh, Glory for themselves, specifically glory for themselves being on Jesus' right and left as he entered his own glory. Jesus' reply to them is very clear. You do not know what you're asking. Now that sounds quite scary. What they thought they were asking for and what they were actually asking for were two completely different things. 
They thought they were asking for some kind of special position of elevation, when in reality they were asking for some kind of special position of humiliation. Who was on Jesus' right and his left when he entered into his glory? Can you think of a time where Jesus was there with someone on his right and on his left? It was when he was hung on the cross. He was crowned with the crown of thorns and crucified between two evil men who deserved to be there. How is the cross glorious? We'll talk about that more a bit later. Coming back to this interaction, Jesus asks them, Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they say to him, we are able. I'm just going to put this down because it's getting in my way. Perhaps they thought uh, Jesus was talking about the cup of Psalm 23. Um, You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. That cup sounds like a cup everyone would enjoy drinking. Safety, peace, security in the presence of your enemies. They can't touch you. You're safe. Um, But Jesus wasn't talking about that cup. He was really talking about the cup and the baptism of suffering leading to death. Jesus tells them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not me, for, my, for me to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. James and John, as Jesus says here, will die for the name of Jesus. They will drink the cup and be baptized with the baptism with which Jesus is baptized, that of suffering and leading to death. Uh, We see this with James in Acts 12, where Herod uh, kills him by the sword. Uh, And and with John, happens sometime later as well. Uh, He was killed later. But both of them did indeed suffer and die for the name of Jesus. Uh, They died for the cause of Christ. But being on Jesus' right and his left was for those it had been prepared for. In this interaction, we're then told what the rest of the ten, uh, the rest of the twelve disciples, or the other ten, they heard it. It being uh, their request to be James and John's request to be on Jesus' right and left in glory, and they began to be indignant or angry. Um, and their anger, I, I don't think, is how could these guys insult Jesus by asking such a question. I think their anger is more like, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> Classic Thunder Brothers, asking for places of glory and honor. Man, that makes me mad. Them asking for high up positions. James and John thinking they deserve that, when really, I deserve that. And so with that in mind, we now come to thinking about true greatness. Uh, We're going to see what what true greatness is not, um, and then we'll see what true greatness is, as Jesus explains it to us. And have a look with me in Mark uh, verses 42 to 44 to see this. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would would be first among, among you must be slave of all. So here Jesus first highlights the world's approach to greatness, the approach the disciples were following here, that of trying to gain high up positions of power, authority, and influence. It's a kind of self-glorification, puffing ourselves up. And in contrast to that way, Jesus calls the disciples to be different. True greatness is not found in self-exaltation and pride, but in humility, self-sacrifice and service, in giving up one's rights for the benefit 
of others. That's what it means when Jesus tells us that to be great, we must serve. Uh, But this is not how things worked in Gentile society or in our society or in Jewish society even. Uh, We we often view greatness as having power over others, um, being able to get them to do what we want them to do. Um, Maybe we we view it as as wanting to use our authority to to get to to lord it over people, to, to remind them that we're in authority over them and to remind them that they're under our authority. That's kind of how we often think about um, these positions of, of, of power. But Jesus says this is not to be so among you. The world's way of, of, of kind of trying to build ourselves up, puff ourselves up and, and bring everyone else down has no place in Jesus' kingdom. To be first, Jesus says, we must be slave of all. And what's the ultimate example of that? We'll see in a moment that the ultimate service is the ransom paid. So throughout this passage, we've seen the, the, our world's view of greatness, James and John's view of greatness, and the rest of the disciples' view of greatness, seeking high up positions and exaltation for themselves. And if you and I are honest, we can often think that way too, can't we? I, I deserve glory. I want to be great. Uh, we want the high up positions and exaltation for ourselves, we, along with the 10 other disciples, would have been like angry at James and John for trying to get that position for themselves because we'd want it. And this self-glorification leads to a breakdown in relationships, doesn't it? I mean, if someone lords their authority over, over us, it leads to resentment and anger and bitterness. Um, we can see that in how we relate to each other. I mean, just think about this. Do, do I like it when someone makes it out as though they're better than me and looks down on me. I'd hazard a guess and say, no, <laughs> that you don't like that. I don't like that. I don't think any of us like that. Um, and similarly, if we do that to, to other people, it puts them off. They don't want to be friends with us. No one wants to spend time with the person who bigs themselves up and makes it all about them. No, we'd rather be with humble people. Uh, but, but this self-exaltation of pride is more than just a problem with our uh, relationships, our personal relationships with one another here. It's completely broken our relationship with God. Uh, Jesus tells the disciples such a way of life must not be so among them. Uh, This puffing ourselves up and exaltation and pride is our sinfulness and it deserves God's judgment. It, It all comes from a human desire to be God, to rule all by ourselves instead of ruling rightly under God as we were designed to. And it's for this reason that Jesus came to give his life. You see, we deserve God's judgment. We deserve to die for our rebellion. But in his amazing love, Jesus came not to get people to serve him, though he had every right to do that. Not to come to get people to serve him, but to serve us. And he did it by dying. Wow. That's Jesus paying our debt in our place so we can go free. That's Jesus. Buying us with the price of his blood shed. That's Jesus. Giving his life as a ransom, a payment for many. That is Jesus. Jesus didn't give his life as a ransom for everyone. Otherwise, everyone would be saved. No, Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. And those many are God's chosen people. Everyone who believes in Jesus. Don't reject Jesus and face God's judgment. 
Come to Jesus today and trust him. Trust that he paid your debt and served you in a way that you could never serve yourself. Saved you in a way that you could never save yourself. Because someone will pay that debt. Either it'll be us in eternity or it was Jesus on the cross. So come to him today and trust him. The ultimate service truly is the ransom paid. Have a look at this verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. At the beginning of today's passage, we read that they, uh, that is the Gentiles in cahoots with the Jews, will kill Jesus. But now we've just read that he gives his life. He gives his life as a ransom for many. So how, how can that be? How can Jesus give his life and it be taken from him? Well, the cross is both the worst act of human evil ever and the most amazing act of God's love. God in his love, infinite love and wisdom, planned that the worst act of human evil ever, the murder of Jesus Christ, the perfect innocent son of God, was the perfect plan of God to save us, Jesus giving his life in our place. And that, that self-sacrifice of Jesus, that's what true greatness looks like. That's what true glory looks like, self-sacrifice. Maybe thinking about Jesus is new to you. Uh, maybe you've never really stopped to think about where you stand with him. Well, there's three things I want to say to you today. Firstly, I want to say welcome. This is great that you're here. I'm, I'm glad that you're here. Coming to hear about Jesus is the best thing we could, we could ever do. And that's why we keep coming here. We, we want to keep encouraging one another with the truths about Jesus. Secondly, I want to ask, have you ever observed self-sacrifice and recognized the power in it? Have you ever observed self-sacrifice and recognized the power in it? Uh, maybe, maybe it's a parent. Maybe, maybe you've seen it in, in your mum or your dad. Maybe you've seen it in a movie or a book or a dearly loved family member, a moving story. Seeing someone give up their rights, their privileges, their life even for others. And did it hit you? I'm sure it did. Uh, what do you think? Why, why is that? Well, I want to suggest that it's because God has hardwired a longing for him into each of us. A desire for the things of eternity. A desire for God himself. And he's the God who came to this earth, Jesus. He's the God who laid down his life for us. You see, all of these stories that show self-sacrifice, they really are like little arrows pointing us to the ultimate story that of Jesus coming to die for us. Because they get at the reality that it's a beautiful thing when someone lays down their life for someone else. And that's what Jesus has done for us. But what makes Jesus' death the ultimate account of self-sacrifice? Well, he dealt with the thing breaking our relationship with God, our sin. He paid our debt on the cross. And he was the only one who could because he's fully God and fully human. And he's dealt with it for good, for eternity, forever. He has done what no one else could do by bringing about reconciliation for sinners like us to God. Thirdly, I want to say, come to Jesus today. We don't know how long we've got left here on earth, but when we die, it'll be too late. Be one of the many that Jesus gave his life for, as a ransom for. 
if you want to do that today, I'll be here after the service and I'd love, it would, I would be delighted over the moon to walk you through giving your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, accepting that free gift of salvation that he alone offers. Maybe, maybe that's not you. Maybe you've been living a half-baked Christian life, a lukewarm sort of Christian life, and you want to be on fire for Jesus. In the same way, it would be my pleasure and privilege to pray with you also and to encourage you as you live for Jesus and recommit your life to him. The statement in verse 45, is, is it, it starts with four, which tells us that it's the reason for, for what, what Jesus has called us to. He's called us to lives of service. And he says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that statement gives us the reason why we too must live lives of service. Jesus, the king of the universe, didn't come to get people to do stuff for him, but rather came to serve others by dying to pay our debts. Jesus' death is an example because it's more than an example. Now, that might sound a little strange. Um, I'll explain it, and there's an illustration in here, so hopefully that clears it all up. But what I mean by that is that Jesus' death really did accomplish something. Jesus' death really did pave the way for us to be made right with God instead of the broken relationship we naturally have with him. Jesus' death is the only way that we can be reconciled to God, and he really did pay our debt on the cross. And so his death is more than an example. Uh, let me give you an illustration. Imagine there's a bus coming, um, and there's a child standing safe, safe on the pavement, and I ran in front of the bus, and I yelled, I'm doing for this, this for you. And I ran in front of the bus, and I got hit, and I died. That's, that's not a good example at all. That's, that's just kind of stupid for me to do that. Um, it's ridiculous. Contrast that with the situation where there's a child standing on the road about to be hit by a bus, and the only way to stop that happening is for the person to run and push the child to safety onto the pavement and be hit by the bus in the child's place. That is love. That is self-sacrifice. That's an example because it's more than an example. It actually did something. Jesus' death is an example because it's more than an example. If we could make ourselves right with God, then Jesus died for no reason. We need Jesus. And Jesus going to the cross, if we could make ourselves right with God, wouldn't be an example to be followed. It would just be crazy. But since we can't make ourselves right with God, since we can't bridge that gap ourselves, we can't restore our relationship with him. Jesus died for a reason, the most important reason ever, to give his life as a ransom, that is a payment for many, to pay the debt we owed God in our place. Because Jesus' death changes everything, enabling us to be right with God, his death gives us the pattern for our lives, a way of living. Jesus' death teaches us how to live. Jesus' death shows us that he took on the position of service. It shows us that there is glory in service. It shows us that the king of the universe didn't reject serving as beneath him, but did it in his amazing humility. Jesus' act of service is the most amazing act of humility ever. The king of the universe on a cross, the highest point of exaltation, glory with the Father, 
and the spirit to the lowest point of humiliation, death on a cross, uh, a, 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 an execution reserved for the worst of the worst, and then back to the highest point in his resurrection and ascension. Who are we to think that we're more important than the king of the universe and so should be served rather than served? It's crazy, isn't it? But we can so often easily fall into that trap. I know I have. We all need to follow Jesus in living self-sacrificial, humble lives. That's where true greatness and glory are found. Uh, There won't be the fanfare, but we know that in the life to come, there is glory to be shared and enjoyed in the Lord Jesus. So in summing up, we each need to turn away from that self-exaltation and pride, that drive to want to to have others uh, look to us and, and, and exalt us and glorify us. That glory isn't ours. We need to turn away from that. And we need to turn to Jesus, the one who deserves that glory and the one who humbled himself for us. Jesus shows us true glory. He shows us what true greatness is really like. It's nothing like our world's way, the disciples' way, our way, but it's the way. He's the way. True greatness is service, and the ultimate service is Jesus' life given as a ransom for many. Be one of the many. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to give your life as a ransom for many. Thank you that you showed us what true greatness and true glory is like. Forgive us for when we've gone the opposite way. Have mercy on us, we pray, and grant that we would live lives that reflect your glory by following your example of humility. And we pray that you would enable us to do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.